Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Vizient Pharmacy Vision Awards celebrate the values and achievements of our pharmacy members. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. With me today is the winner of the Excellence and in Innovation Award, Dr. Megan Lebrecht, Antiarrhythmic Clinic Pharmacist at Ohio Health. Welcome, Megan. First of all, congratulations on your award. It really is an honor to be recognized in this space. I can't thank you enough. The Innovation Award winner demonstrates the ability to implement an innovative approach to challenging patient care or operational practice issues in conjunction with other departments or disciplines. Your nominator shared some of the incredible impacts of your work, and I'm eager to learn more about your winning story. Tell me, what were you trying to accomplish with this project? We were trying to transfer the management of nearly 1,400 patients on an antiarrhythmic drug and their monitoring from the exclusive management of a physician to a pharmacist-led service. We found that patients on these drugs were taking up a significant amount of provider time, often behind the scenes. Patients, when they had their labs drawn, sat in the physician's in-basket for sometimes up to several months because of all of the other work that the physicians were doing. Not that it wasn't important, but unfortunately, acute things happen. Patients get hospitalized. Patients have procedures. Patients on antiarrhythmic drugs have interacting drugs that need to be addressed. And oftentimes, these patients would take up up to 25 to 50% of these providers' schedules. This impacted access for new patients to get on these providers' schedule. So we had proposed that the patients would alternate visits between the pharmacist, myself, and the physician every six months. This would allow new patients to get into the electrophysiologist physician within 15 business days rather than months. This improved patient care overall, allowing these antiarrhythmic clinic patients to be seen on a routine basis without any backlog. There are labs and EKG to be evaluated in real time and the new patients to get in without any wait time, improving care overall. So improved quality all the way around. Absolutely. That does sound like a lot to manage. What was really the problem you were trying to solve from a pharmacy perspective? Our electronic medical record templates didn't make the process for drug monitoring and safety efficient at all. The processes that our single nurse at that time was utilizing to monitor these patients, it was a completely manual process. There was no way to run reports. There was no way to make sure appropriate follow-up measures were taken. There were several patients that were months, if not years, behind routine monitoring parameters that needed to be followed. Patients were falling through the cracks. Physicians had to manually notify that one nurse that a patient needed to be on her follow-up list. If that simple step was missed, patients weren't followed. There was no way to run exact reports of these patients that needed to be on this quote-unquote follow-up list. Really, it was a safety parameter. These medications are high-risk medications. If drug interactions aren't found, if significant lab values that are out of a normal limit aren't found, they can lead to torsades, which can be a life-threatening arrhythmia. And we really wanted to make sure that these things were addressed. Looking at a pharmacist's role in an anticoagulation clinic, that's an example of where a pharmacist serves value for a lot of times a cardiac reason, for example, atrial fibrillation management for anticoagulation. 
And so those patients are monitored by a pharmacist and that improves patient outcomes. So we wanted to kind of mimic that in this setting. It sounds like there were a lot of complexities involved. What was your approach to try to fix some of those issues that you identified? We took a lot of time developing reports in our EMR that could identify patients on these drugs, the class three antiarrhythmic drugs. And unfortunately, we had to weed out one by one which patients were quote unquote active so that they could make up our roster. And then we needed to determine what patients were up to date on their monitoring parameters in terms of lab monitoring and imaging that were necessary. We had gone through the appropriate stakeholders, our physician champion, the rest of the electrophysiology team and their nurse practitioners, as well as the pharmacy stakeholders, and really make sure that this plan in terms of pharmacist-led monitoring was going to make sure that we reduced patient error, improved follow-up, and increased safety overall. So where did the idea come from to implement this program? Had you heard of another program like this in the past? There is a similar program to this just down the road from us at The Ohio State University. It's a pharmacist-led clinic. I'm not sure 100% of their collaborative practice agreement that they run with, but they have published some data regarding their outcomes and their monitoring parameters. And our physician champion here at Ohio Health was really eager to get this program started. He is really pharmacy friendly and believes that pharmacists have the capacity to practice at the top of their license. And that's their scope of practice is really identifying patient safety when it comes to drugs, especially high risk drugs. And when it comes to having patients come for medication education and getting laboratory monitoring, and especially when patients are starting new medications that could have critical drug interactions that could really put patients in the hospital or be a safety risk. He really wants pharmacists to be involved in that. That's really where the basis of this idea came from and where the push for this pharmacist-led clinic initiated. So you mentioned your collaborative practice agreement. Tell me a little bit about what's included in that. Our collaborative practice agreement is between the pharmacists and the referring providers within our practice. And it allows the pharmacist or myself to independently manage these patients, ordering and evaluating necessary labs, providing refills and adjusting the medications, as well as electrolyte monitoring therapy. These policies and training plans were written based off of national guidelines in collaborations with our electrophysiology providers. We also built out our navigator in our electronic medical record to better track and trend these patients as well as these laboratory monitoring policies. What kind of training do you need to be able to offer these services? I don't think that's really something that's outlined anywhere. That's something that we came up with as a group between myself and the electrophysiology providers that I work with. We came up with a training plan that included myself shadowing and rounding with the inpatient nurse practitioners, as well as working one-on-one with one of the electrophysiologists in the group to ensure that reading EKGs and calculating and evaluating the QT interval on the EKG was something that I was comfortable with and that he was comfortable with since that was one of the mainstays of evaluating these drugs in the outpatient setting. We had come up with a checklist and a sign-off form that he had designed. And then once that was completed at the end of a training period, he signed off on it and my manager signed off on it. And that went into a personnel file. As the program continued to roll out, what other opportunities did you discover? 
This is something that I'm really excited to talk about. It's an ongoing program. We have done the outpatient soda law loading in our practice utilizing a handheld smartphone heart monitor. Now tell me a little bit more about it. Typically, Sotalol is a medication in which historically has been initiated in the inpatient setting over a three-day period. The FDA mandates ongoing QT assessment with an EKG. It doesn't necessarily say that it has to be in an inpatient setting. This methodology is endorsed by our national AFib guidelines, the ACC, AHA, and HRS guidelines. And we have identified certain criteria that patients need to meet. One of the residents who is listed on this award, Chelsea Roberts, was at the time my PGY2 HSPA resident, and she had undergone this project with me and wanted to look at it from a cost analysis. And so we looked at patients wanting to undergo this outpatient process. This device is a handheld smartphone heart monitor. It uses an app. It's smaller than your iPhone, and you can put it on your top of your knee with your two thumbs and record a six-lead EKG. It has been FDA cleared to be as good as a 12-lead EKG to get an accurate QT interval reading. This was published recently and has been kind of the backbone for some of this outpatient loading. With the backing of our physician champion, Dr. Amin, we had started getting more and more referrals through our class three clinic, our outpatient antiarrhythmic clinic, to provide the service to patients, and especially during COVID, when patients didn't want to go into the hospital for fears of getting COVID, and especially during our big surge when inpatient elective admissions were on hold. The only other option for outpatient-initiated medications was amiodarone, which, as a lot of pharmacists know, is a medication that comes with a lot of potential side effects and toxicities. And we utilize that a lot of times as a short-term medication in patients that are relatively young. So this avenue provides a different opportunity for patients in the outpatient setting. It's exciting to hear about leveraging that technology to help patients what has been the impact of shifting this activity to an outpatient setting? We continue to utilize this technology in the outpatient setting to date. Despite this initial pilot program being completed, we have loaded, quote unquote, patients to date, about 70 of them. I have written up, along with Chelsea, my PGY2 HSPA resident, our data from this pilot program and presented it to HRS, the Heart Rhythm Society in Boston this past August as a poster. And we continue to write up our findings and hopefully publish this finding soon. And we're hoping to continue to provide this service to patients as an alternative to inpatient admission. This provides really big cost savings on average to patients. So what has been the impact of shifting this activity to outpatient? Overall, the impact has been positive. Patients continue to be referred to our clinic in terms of outpatient soda law loading. We have loaded, quote unquote, patients to date in total of about 70. The impact financially has been huge. The average cost savings per patient is upwards of $6,700 between outpatient and inpatient. This pilot program that we had reviewed back in August of 2020 has now turned into the standard service offering for our clinic. 
patients that are meeting a said criteria for our electrophysiologists, just go ahead and refer them for the outpatient soda loading program. And we load probably about two to three patients per week on average, which continues to provide cost savings to our institution. That's very impactful. Overall, how has the program influenced patient satisfaction? Part of Chelsea, my former PGY2 HSPA residents project was to provide patient satisfaction surveys at the end of their loading period. And all of the surveys that she received back were positive. All of them chose to undergo an outpatient soda loading process and would recommend it to peers if they had to recommend it to somebody versus an inpatient stay. It's really hard to recommend going into the hospital for three days if you're not sick. A lot of times the patients are just waiting in their room to receive an EKG two hours post-drug dose to ensure that their EKG changes are normal and not abnormal to receive any adjustment in their medication. This allows patients to go about their daily life and do what they need to do, go to work, attend to their family, that type of thing. It's impactful for the patient to be able to go home during those three days of monitoring. It's really been a great thing for our patients. Well, it's great to hear that it's been so well received by them. So what are your future plans for the program? We're really hopeful to expand this program into our outreach sites. Ohio Health is a really large institution and our electrophysiology services have about five to six outreach sites across central Ohio. Currently being the only antiarrhythmic clinic pharmacist, I am unable to service the rest of those outreach sites. We're limited geographically where we are. Hopefully in the future, as this process and this service begins to grow and expand and other providers begin to learn about the success, we hope to get more devices that will allow us to service more patients at one time. We hope to, with our PGY2 residency program, which is in its first year, continue to expand our ambulatory program. That would also allow increased personnel to provide this service across our outreach sites as well. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that. What advice do you have for new practitioners or frontline staff who want to start something like this in the future? My advice is really to identify what patient access needs increased across your healthcare system and where costs can be decreased amongst the healthcare system. And that would be a great place to start really finding someone who's a physician champion across your healthcare system who's really going to identify and back your idea is really beneficial. We've been really blessed in our healthcare system to have a physician champion for a lot of pharmacy driven practices where they're really fighting for the pharmacist to practice at the top of their license and at the highest part of their scope of practice, really pushing for those collaborative practice agreements and taking work off the physician's plate having that physician champion really boosts your opportunities and improves chances for pharmacist-led services to be approved by your institution's leaders. Decreasing healthcare costs and finding those needs is a good place to start. There has been several examples of pharmacist-led services across our country. And so looking for pharmacist consortiums where we can share our ideas, podcasts like this, and finding those spaces that might not be our everyday like anticoagulation clinics, which I feel like every institution has, but where are these niche 
services and where can we increase them across our systems? Where can we increase them across the country so we can increase access to our patients and improve safety and outcomes? Very insightful and great advice. Megan, congratulations again. Thank you so much for joining us today to share your successes. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.